Lesson number 57, ayah number 25, surah An-Nisa. وَمَنْ لَمْ يَسْتَطِعْ مِنْكُمْ طَوْلًا And whoever among you cannot find the means. The means to what? أَنْ يَنْكِحَ الْمُحْصَنَاتِ الْمُؤْمِنَاتِ That he should marry with those means, free women who are also believing. In the previous verses, we learned about which women a person is not allowed to marry. Right? Those female relatives that are muharramat. And then we learned that all women besides the muharramat are who? Permissible for marriage. Right? Whether they are related or they're unrelated, it doesn't matter. They are permissible for marriage. As long as they're not of the muharramat. And from these verses, we see that there is encouragement to marry. In the Qur'an also, we learn in Surah An-Nur, وَأَنْكِحُ الْأَيَامَ That those who are single amongst you, get them married off. Because marriage is something that is a part of life, that completes a person, that enables a person to do many things which they're not able to otherwise. And marriage is the smallest, you can say, section of a society, a family is, right? And in the hadith also, the Prophet ﷺ, he addressed the young people that get married because it is better for you, for your chastity. So what if a person is not able to get married? Because we learned earlier that a man, when he gets married, he has to give the mahar. Now, what if a person is not able to afford a mahar? That he doesn't have the financial means. Or if he is able to afford the mahar, he cannot afford a walima. And walima is something that is mandatory. I'm not saying, you know, a very lavish kind of walima in which hundreds of people are invited and each guest, you know, you have to serve them food that costs $100 a plate. No. An average one, a basic one. He cannot afford that. He doesn't have the financial capacity. Or he doesn't have an income with which he can support a family. You understand? He cannot afford a family. So, if he does not have the financial means, then what should he do? The solution is given over here. Allah says, وَمَنْ لَمْ يَسْتَطِعْ مِنْكُمْ طَوْلًا Whoever is not capable from istita'a, whoever does not have the capacity of what? طَوْلًا طَوْل is from the root letters طَوَوْلًا طول, طول is to be long. And طَوْل is to have plenty of material means. To have financial ease. When a person has financial ease, when he has plenty of material means, then he is able to spend on himself and he's also able to spend on others. So this person doesn't have the means to fulfill his needs. How can he take care of a family? How can he take care of a wife and soon children? He doesn't have the financial capacity. And he doesn't have the ability to marry al-muhsanatil mu'minat. Muhsanat are who? We learned that this word has multiple meanings. Of the meanings is a free woman. Alright? Now, over here, chaste woman doesn't apply. Likewise, married woman doesn't apply. Over here in the context, the meaning of muhsanat is free woman. He doesn't have the financial means to marry a free woman. Because a free woman, you know, belonging to a noble family, obviously she will expect more nafaqah. Every month, every day, she will expect that a certain amount of money is spent on her to fulfill her needs. Isn't that so? Like for example, a woman who has lived a life of financial ease in her parents' house. How can you expect her to live in a small crammed house or not even a house like a very small place, you know, a room in somebody's house? It's not possible. So he cannot afford to marry a muhsana. 
المؤمنات believing women then what should he do فمما ملكت ايمانكم then he should select a woman from those who ملكت ايمانكم your right hands possess ايمان plural of yameen meaning right hand and what does this refer to slave women meaning then he should find a slave woman whom he can set free or he can request the master to set her free so that he can marry her but what's the condition min fatayatikum almu'minat they should also be believing not an unbelieving one but a believing woman iman will be given priority and look at how allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes them here the slave women who are min fatayatikum fatayat is a plural of fatat from the root letters fataya and fatat is a young girl a woman and especially it's used for a young woman one who is young in her age and the reason why this word has been used for slave women is because the word fatat is also used for a daughter all right so this kind of gives the understanding to us that a slave woman a slave should not be considered as a property but rather one should treat a slave as if they are their own a daughter you treat as if she is because she is your own right that a property you know an animal or something you don't treat it like your own you won't treat them the same way i mean these days obviously the standards for animals are also much higher all right for pets it's very high This is the reason why the Prophet ﷺ, he said that not one of you should, when introducing their slave, say, this is my slave. Meaning if you're introducing your slave to someone, don't say, this is my slave, or this is my slave woman. Nor should the slave say, this is my lord. Meaning if a slave says about his master, he's introducing him to someone, he should not say, this is my rab, this is my master. Rather, the malik should call them, my fatat or my fata my daughter or my son with regards to slaves this is a kind of words that should be used to describe them and the mamluk the slave should say sayyidi my leader you can say or sayyidati because all of you are mamluk and who is your lord allah is your lord so this is the reason why the word fatayat has been used now it doesn't mean that if a person decides to marry a slave woman she has to be very very young No, that's not what the meaning is. She can be older in age as well. She can be a young woman, she can be a woman in her middle ages, whatever. But it's just that from the usage of this word, we learn something very important about how slaves are to be treated in Islam. Select someone from among the slaves, but remember that she should be a believing woman. Allah says, وَاللَّهُ أَعْلَمُ بِإِيمَانِكُمْ And Allah knows very well about your iman. بَعْضُكُمْ مِنْ بَعْضُ Some of you are from others, meaning you are of one another. In other words, if you're marrying a slave, then don't start doubting their iman, that how do you know she's really a believer or not? You know, she was a captive brought from a non-Muslim land, maybe she embraced Islam just to assimilate. So in other words, don't start judging the correctness of her iman. Who knows about the correctness of her iman? Allah knows. And at the time of marriage, this is a major problem. People do not trust the other. Isn't it so? They don't trust the other individual who has proposed them or who is a potential spouse. You know, judging them that, okay, they wear hijab, but how do you know? Okay, they have a beard, but how do you know? Right? That they're really righteous or not. We are to judge people by their 
appearance, by their outward. And Allah is the one who knows about what's in their hearts and He will judge them about their hearts. We are not to judge the hearts of other people. Because people become very judgmental. And sometimes, to really get to know another individual and the level of their faith, and the level of their taqwa, and the level of their patience, sometimes people will interview one another, really, to such a great extent, that it's ridiculous. People will keep questioning one another. You know, the man is constantly questioning the woman. The woman is constantly questioning the man. But the reality is that you can never find out about the other person until after marriage. I'm not saying don't ask anything. No, ask. But don't go on asking such as, do you pray your sunnah? How often do you pray nafil? How often do you pray istikhara? Okay, do you pray tahajjud? No, fine, whatever. I'm not going to marry you. Do you pray taraweeh? How many times have you done irtikaf? These kind of questions, you know, about other people's piety, about their iman, what is it of benefit to you? How is it going to benefit you? Judge a person based on his appearance. If the family testifies, if the people around them say that yes, he prays salah, he attends classes, he goes to the masjid, then alhamdulillah, that should be good enough for you. Because sometimes people want a sheikh. You know, some women, they're waiting for a sheikh. Really. And some men, they're waiting for hurul in. And this is the reason why when they don't find a potential spouse that meets their high standards, they don't end up getting married until very late. And eventually there's a compromise that's too big of a compromise because they don't have any other option. Right? What do we learn in the hadith? That if a man proposes whose deen satisfies you, I mean, he is an observant, practicing person, then accept. Because otherwise this will create fitna in the society. And this is what's happening. People examine other people under a magnifying glass. If only they could see their hearts. You know, that's all that's left. So remember, وَاللَّهُ أَعْلَمُ بِإِيمَانِكُمْ Allah knows best about your iman. He is the one who can judge. You go for the apparent. بَعْضُكُمْ مِنْ بَعْضُ Some of you are from one another. Now in this ayah we see that permission is being given to marry slave women. Now a person might say, there's so much of a difference between our status. I'm a free person, they're a slave. Or they were a slave. How can we two ever be married? But the fact is, that you are a human being and she's a human being. And both of you are who? Children of Adam And sometimes this kind of problem is faced today as well. People have this concern in their heart that they are too well off and we are not too well off. Or we are too well off and the other person is not too rich. We own a house and they don't own a house. They own a house and we don't own a house. They have this job and we don't have it. They have this degree and we don't have it. Because we want someone who is exactly at the same level as ours, even in worldly terms. But the fact is that Allah has created people different. Allah has blessed them with different blessings. If one person has been given wealth, and another person has been given the knowledge of the deen, another person has been given ilm, then ilm is far better than wealth. Isn't it so? So never underestimate an individual based on their financial capacity, based on their social status. What is necessary? Iman is necessary. If that is there, excellent. But it doesn't mean that you ignore other things. Other things are also important. Other factors are also very important because you have to live your life with that individual. And if you develop a complex because of how they are, or you feel you cannot respect them because of their status, then don't go ahead with that marriage. 
But at the end of the day, remind yourself, بَعْضُكُمْ مِنْ بَعْضُ And unfortunately, in some cultures, people reject others based on the color of their skin. They may have the best degree, you know, they may be very well off, but the only reason why they reject it is because they're not too fair. They're not too fair-skinned. You know, for example, in Pakistani culture, in Indian culture, this is something that's very, very important. That people want a woman who is very fair-skinned. Right? And if someone is slightly different in their shade, I mean, what is this? Baldukum min bald. I remember a sister was telling me once, and mashallah, her skin color, very beautiful. I never thought that she was extremely dark or anything. And even if she was dark, so what? I mean, every shade has its own beauty. Isn't it so? Every shade has its own beauty. So anyway, she said that my mom, she feels so bad for me. All my aunts feel so bad for me that I'm not going to get married when I grow older because I'm not too fair. It's like, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. This is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. People should not be judged just on the skin color that they have. Every color has its own beauty. Allah has made the person. Every feature has its own beauty. People will sometimes reject others based on the length of their hair. Based on the texture of their skin. Based on the kind of fingers they have. Based on the kind of hair they have. Based on the kind of beard they have. Or they don't have. You know, these are little little things. We should be concerned about the obligations. That is a person fulfilling their obligations or not. Because the level of piety, the level of ihsan, it doesn't have any limit to it. Isn't it so? It doesn't have any limit to it. There is always someone who is more pious compared to another individual. There is always someone who will have a higher level of iman compared to another person. So these physical features, these material things, yes, you should be concerned about them, but they should not be your priority. They should never, ever be your priority. Never. Likewise, cross-cultural marriages. Even that is such a problem, unfortunately. That just because a person is of a different race, or a different nationality, or belongs to a different country, or belongs to a different tribe sometimes, right? That is a big deal, is it? I see some people smiling a lot. Yeah? I hear a lot of giggles. Oh no, no, they're from that family. They're from that tribe. Your children cannot even speak that language anymore. They don't even know how to, the names of the different foods that they prepare. And you want a person from the same country, from the same race, from the same tribe. Really? Where are you going to find such a Prince Charming? You're not going to find them. And if you do, there will always be something that you will not like. You know, earlier we learned that لَا تَعْضُلُوهُنَّ That the women do not make their lives difficult for them. One of the interpretations of that ayah is that do not prevent them from marriage. That the orphan girls who are under your care do not prevent them from getting married. And this is unfair. That sometimes a girl wants to get married but the family will oppose that marriage just because he's a convert. How do you know they're really sincere in their faith? Really? How do you know? You know, what if they used to drink? What if they used to have a girlfriend? What if they did zina before? Allah has forgiven them inshallah for whatever happened before. Wallahu a'lamu bi'imanikum. And just because they're of a different race doesn't mean they're any less. 
بَعْضُكُمْ مِنْ بَعْضُ All of us have originated from the same parents. So it should not be a major concern. Alright? بَعْضُكُمْ مِنْ بَعْضُ فَنْكِحُوهُنَّ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that marry them, meaning these slave women, go ahead and get married to them, but there is a condition. And what is that? بِإِذْنِ أَهْلِهِنَّ With the permission of their families. Over here, ahl. Ahl does not mean the relatives, the blood relatives of the female slaves. Ahl, remember, is someone who is entitled to or someone who has the possession of something or someone. Alright? So for a slave, their ahl is who? Their ahl is who? Their master. Their guardians. Alright? So marry them with the permission of their guardians with the permission of their masters and when you marry them wa and give them ujurahunna their ajr ujur plural of ajr and what does this ajr refer to their mahar notice that even when you marry a woman who is a slave who was a slave still when you marry her you have to give her the mahar So in other words, regardless of the social status, the financial status of the woman, the husband has to give her the mahar that she deserves. He has to give her. It's an obligation on him. Because sometimes people think, oh she's a convert, what does she know? She doesn't have a father, who's going to ask? Right? Or she is from this country, she's from that country, she doesn't know who's going to fight for it, so she's never given her mahar. This is unfair. وَآتُوهُنَّ أُجُورَهُنَّ And this other should be بِالْمَعْرُوفِ In the manner that is recognized. Meaning just because she was a slave, doesn't mean that you give her a dollar, that you give her a few cents. Because for her, that is even a lot. But for you, it's nothing. And if you were to marry a free person, you would give them much more. Be decent in the mahar. And مُحْصَنَاتٍ When you marry them, they should be مُحْصَنَات Meaning they should be fortified. In other words, when you marry them, then they are your wife. She has become your wife. And now she is to be protected and fortified just like other women are when they are married. Muhsanat. And it means that once they are married, they should live a life of chastity. Because unfortunately, in the Arabian society, many slave women would go into prostitution. Because this was a way of making money. And in fact, their masters would force them into prostitution. Because this way, they were able to earn a lot through their slaves. The men would be put to physical labor and the women would be used for prostitution. And this is something that happens today as well. That people will kidnap girls, right? Or young girls, they are caught or whatever, and they're forced into prostitution. And the thing is that a woman who has lived such a life, that from one man to the other, from one man to the other, Even if she ends up getting married to someone, her level of haya will be different from the level of haya of a woman who has lived a chaste life. I'm not saying she's at fault, it's her fault. But I'm just saying that she is different in her nature compared to others. I mean, just to give you an example, you know, depending on the kind of life that people have lived, they are more used to some things and other people are not used to it at all. For example, if there's a girl who has never worn hijab, right? she has 
never worn full sleeves. Okay, she's hardly ever worn pants. The only reason when she will wear pants is because it's too cold. Otherwise, her legs are exposed, her arms are exposed, her neck is exposed. For her to walk like that outside or to walk like that in front of other men, whether related or not, is not a problem. Even to walk in front of a camera is not a problem. Isn't it so? Even if thousands of people are watching her, she's used to it. But if someone were to ask you to do the same thing, and they pay you, may Allah protect you, but if someone were to do that, would you be willing? Never. Like I heard astaghfirullah already. <laughs> Why? You're not used to it. You've never done it. And alhamdulillah, because of that, there is a level of taqwa, there is a level of haya, there is a level of iman. Alright? But for a person who's never covered their head, never covered their awrah, for them it's not a problem. That it happens with young girls, for example, that if their legs are always covered, if their arms are always covered, then if you let them go with a dress sometimes, with a skirt without any tights or something, and if you put short sleeves on them, they feel uncomfortable because they've never done it. Right? So they feel uncomfortable. So anyway, a slave woman at that time was used to, you know, many men. Alright? So I'm not saying it's her fault. But that's how life was for her. And especially pre-Islam, it was really bad. So this is the reason why muhsanat has been emphasized. That now they have to become chaste. They have to be protected in marriage. غَيْرَ musafihat, Not those who commit unlawful intercourse. Musafihat, plural of musafiha. And musafiha, we learned musafihin. Okay? This is seen farha. Safaha. Safaha is to cause water to flow. Alright? To cause water to flow. To pour. And this is, you can say, an indirect way of saying that someone has relations just to fulfill their sexual desire. Just to fulfill their lust. So musafihat, meaning those who commit unlawful intercourse. Because what's the reason behind unlawful intercourse? Just the fulfillment of sexual desire. So they should not be living such a life anymore. They should become غَيْرُ musafihat. وَلَا مُتَّخِذَاتِ أَخْدَان مُتَّخِذَات plural of مُتَّخِذَة One who takes and أَخْدَان plural of خِدْن And خِدْن is who? A secret friend. Or you can say not necessarily secret but an illicit partner. Meaning a man and women who are not married, but they are living together. Why? They love one another, they are friends to each other. So this is who? Akhdan are. Lovers, you can say. So, وَلَا مُتَّخِذَاتِ أَخْدَان They should not take boyfriends. They should not take lovers with whom they sleep with just for the fulfillment of their desires. Because once they are married, then they have to live like a married person. And what does this ayah show to us in general? That once a person is married, then they have to limit themselves to who? To their spouse. And it's incorrect, it is very wrong to betray the spouse, whether husband or wife, by taking another partner. And this is a concept that is not approved of in our religion, that a man and woman live together or they have relations Without nikah. This is something that is unacceptable. This is considered zina. So, وَلَا مُتَّخِذَاتِ أَخْدَانِ فَإِذَا أُحْصِنَّ 
Then when they are fortified, meaning when they are married to, when the marriage has taken place, and now they have to live with their husband, they cannot go and live with other men, or sleep with other men. Even if they had certain friends before, they cannot continue that kind of relationship with them, not at all. Because now they are married. So فَإِذَا أُحْصِنَّ فَإِنْ أَتَيْنَ بِفَاحِشَةٍ If they do commit an act of indecency. What is that? Zina. If they do commit an act of indecency, if they do end up committing zina, because it was very common at that time that prostitutes, some of them, they would take only certain men as their clients, you can say. Alright? That if, for example, a man, for his trade, for his business, he would go from one city to the other, okay? And when he would go to a city, there would be a prostitute. Every time he would go, he would stay there with her. And if he would go to another place, he would stay there with her. Now let's say, this woman, she accepts Islam, she leaves that, she's freed, and she becomes a Muslim. Now that man comes again. Okay? That man comes again. She likes him. Or he tells her. Or whatever. And she does end up committing zina. If she does, فَإِنْ أَتَيْنَ بِفَاحِشَةٍ Then obviously, the punishment has to be carried out. Right? But, considering the background of this woman, okay, considering her background, considering her weakness, it would be unfair to give her the same punishment that is to be given to a free person. You understand? Because she is weak. She has a different background. So this is the reason why Allah says, فَعَلَيْهِنَّ So on them is nisfu half of مَا عَلَى الْمُحْصَنَاتِ That which is on the free women مِنَ adab of the punishment. Meaning the punishment that is given to free women, half of that punishment is going to be given to an ex-slave woman who is now married when she commits zina. Look at how merciful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. That how a slave woman, an ex-slave, I mean, she is to be treated differently. There is another set of rules for her because she comes from a different background. She has that weakness. Yes. Same thing. Okay. Because she was a slave before, even if she wasn't a prostitute, like I mentioned earlier, she has had exposure to many men. Okay, in the course of her slavery. She has probably had that exposure. And she doesn't mind. Which is why for her to fall into zina is much easier compared to a free woman falling into this crime. So this is why the punishment is going to be half. Now, what is the punishment for zina? What is the punishment? A hundred lashes. We learned yesterday, it is hundred lashes. Half of that will be how much? Fifty. But isn't this woman married? Yes, she's married. Alright, she has been faida or sinna. Right? For a married person, when they commit zina, their punishment is different. What is that? Rajim, stoning to death. You can't divide that into half. You can't divide that into half. This is the reason why the hundred lashes will be divided into half, meaning fifty lashes will be given. And if an unmarried slave woman, if an unmarried slave woman, let's say she's not married, but she is a slave, she hasn't been married to, if she commits zina, then in that case, her punishment is also flogging. How much? The number has not been specified. The number has not been specified, that will be decided by the judge. Alright? Thalika that is, meaning this permission, which permission? To marry 
a slave, this permission is being given to who? Liman for the one who khashiya, he fears al-anata, the burden, the difficulty, minkum among you. What is anat? Anat is to be overburdened with something. And as a result of that, a person falls into crime, he falls into sin. That the rules are too hard. Or that the stress is too much, the test is too difficult, the temptation is too intense. And as a result, if it's not solved, if a way out is not made, then a person will definitely fall into crime. Like for example, if you are telling a child, sit at the table and you put in front of him lots of candy and you tell him, don't eat, don't touch, don't eat. That is anat for the child. You understand? It's so burdensome. And if you don't make a way out for him, he's going to fall into that. He is going to end up eating a candy or two. He cannot resist himself. So likewise, if a person is in a situation where he cannot afford to marry a free woman, he has to get married. If he doesn't get married, he fears that he will fall into zina, he will fall into haram. Then Allah has given him the option of marrying a slave woman. So basically, marrying a slave woman is not the recommended thing, it's not the first option, it should always be considered as plan B, as a second option. Alright? وَأَنْتَصْبِرُوا And if you are patient, that you are patient, meaning you control yourself, and you wait for the time when you can afford to marry someone of a similar social status, that is خَيْرُ لَكُمْ It is better for you. وَاللَّهُ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ And Allah is forgiving and merciful. Now this shows to us that it's not preferable that a man marries a slave woman. Why not? Why not? We just learned, Wallahu a'lamu bi imanikum, ba'dukum bin ba'd. So why is there kind of discouragement over here? Yes. That the husband may not be able to treat her well. Because he knows what kind of background she comes from. Alright? And he feels as if he has done so much ihsan on her, and he expects a lot out of her, he may not treat her that well. Or he may treat her well, but other people of his family may not. And doesn't this happen? I mean, there are people who are married for decades, literally. But their family members will always say, you know, my daughter-in-law, she comes from that family. I mean, come on, get over it already. It's been decades. But they won't get over it. They won't get over it. And because of that reason, the daughter-in-law, despite the passage of many years, she's living in such a difficult situation because her mother-in-law, her in-laws, are still not accepting of her. They're still not accepting of her. Right? So a person may not be able to treat the wife properly, or the family may not be able to give her due respect. Any other reason why you think this is discouraged? The reason that is mentioned here, that a free woman, for her to fall into zina, the chances are much less. But for a slave woman, for her to fall into zina, the chances are much high. So you are creating difficulty for yourself. You'll always be suspicious of your wife. You'll always be doubting her. So, In other words, this shows to us that a person should always marry someone who is more compatible to them. This is best. Compatible in every sense. You know, in education, in their physical appearance, in their social background, whatever. They should be compatible. Because it's easy for them to develop a mental understanding. Right? It's easy for them to accept one another, to respect one another. You know, in different cultures things are interpreted differently. Have you noticed that? In different cultures, things are interpreted differently. So for example, the way your parents talk to one another, okay, the kind of expressions they use, if you were to use the same expressions against your friend, 
or in front of your friend, she'd be like, excuse me? You know, sometimes it's just language even. The only other language I know is Urdu, so I'm sorry, I have to give Urdu example. But let me just give you an example. In Urdu, there is a word that is used for you, which is tu. Okay, which is like, tu is like someone small or someone degraded or someone who doesn't deserve much respect. And then tum, which is a little, you know, higher than that. And then ab, which is like thou, you know, like you're giving a lot of respect to that individual whom you're addressing. In certain families, people always use up to address one another. Even if they're calling children, they will say up. But in other families, everybody's going tu, 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 tu. And you're like, what? Like how rudely they speak. How rude can they be? So I'm just giving a small example. That the usage of different words even can create so much misunderstanding. Do you understand? So this is the reason why it's always best to marry someone who is more compatible because this will bring more love, less misunderstandings, less fights, less arguments, less problems, easier life. Yes. That sometimes because of the difference of culture, you know, the husband likes fresh bread every day. And the wife is thinking that's a luxury and she thinks it's good to eat just a simple plain salad with plain chicken that has been steamed. And for him, that's like, what are you talking about? So it could lead to problems. Okay? So basically a person has to see themselves that how tolerant am I? How accepting am I? How understanding am I? Can I live with a person who speaks a different language? Of course, why not? I mean, whose first language is different from my first language? If they can, go ahead. And especially these days, because, you know, people from different backgrounds living in the same country, living in the same society, who have been brought up in a very similar fashion, so the chances are that such people will be compatible with one another. But if one person has grown in one country, another person has grown in another country, very different mentality, and if they feel there's no way they can stay with the person who's grown up in another country, then they shouldn't go ahead with it. You know, sometimes girls are raised in Western countries and their husbands are brought in from back home. And they're forced into such marriages. They're forced into such marriages and this creates a lot of difficulty for them. Okay? I'm not saying that it should not happen. It can happen, but it depends on the individual. It really depends on the individual. Are they able to live such a life? Do they have the strength, the ability? If they have, go ahead. If they're accepting of it, go ahead. But if they're not, then they should not be forced into it. If your daughter is saying, I can't marry someone from back home, there's no way. Don't force her into that. If your son is saying, I can't marry someone from back home, don't force him into that. Alright? So, this is why Allah says, وَأَن تَصْبِرُوا خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ Now on the other hand, if a person does make the decision of marrying a slave woman, freeing her, marrying her, then that is also something that's very rewardable. In a hadith in Sahih Bukhari, we learned, the Prophet ﷺ said, that three people will have double reward on the Day of Judgment. Firstly, a person from the people of the book, meaning someone who was Jewish or someone who was Christian, who believed in his Prophet. So for example, a Jewish person, they believed in Musa ﷺ. A Christian person, they believed in Isa ﷺ. And then believed in Muhammad ﷺ. So for this individual, there is how much reward? 
double reward. Secondly, a slave who discharges his duties to Allah and his master. Meaning a slave who is fulfilling his obligation towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and also fulfilling his obligations towards his master. Now, this is something that doesn't happen, slaves. But think about it. You as an individual, you are accountable to certain people. Could be your boss, could be your parents, could be your husband, could be whoever. You're dutiful to them and also towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because sometimes we lose that balance. When we start worshipping Allah, we stop cooking. Once we start cooking, we stop praying. So whoever manages to maintain that balance, then for him is double reward. And the more difficult it is, the more reward there will be. And then thirdly, a master of a slave woman who teaches her good adab, good manners, and educates her, gives her ilm in the best possible way, and frees her and marries her. But see, marriage came after when? Teaching adab, teaching ilm, and setting free. Alright? So for this person is also double reward. Recitation. وَمَنْ لَمْ يَسْتَطِعْ مِنْكُمْ طَوْلًا أَنْ يَنْكِحَ الْمُحْصَنَاتِ الْمُؤْمِنَاتِ فَمِمَّا مَلَكَتْ أَيْمَانُكُمْ فَمِمَّا مَلَكَتْ أَيْمَانُكُمْ مِنْ فَتَيَاتِكُمُ الْمُؤْمِنَاتِ وَاللَّهُ أَعْلَمُ بِإِيمَانِكُمْ بَعْضُكُمْ مِنْ بَعْضٍ فَانْكِحُوهُنَّ بِإِذْنِ أَهْلِهِنَّ وَآتُوهُنَّ أُجُورَهُنَّ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ مُحْصَنَاتِ محصنات غير مسافحات ولا متخذات أخدان فإذا أحصن فإن أتين بفاحشة فعليهن نصف ما على المحصنات من العذاب ذلك لمن خشي العنة منكم